Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Hey, Carol. Hey, Dee. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. I have a quote. I want to hear your quote, because I already know your quote, and I love your quote. He's, it's one by one of our very favorite authors. Here's our quote. Long experience has taught me that people who do not like geraniums have something morally unsound about them. Sooner or later, you will find them out. You will discover that they drink or steal books or speak sharply to cats. Never trust a man or woman who is not passionately devoted to geraniums. That's by Beverly Nichols in his book, Mary Hall. I love that. Me too. I love that a lot. Yeah. Geraniums are flower today. It is. It is our flower today. The genus geranium and the genus pelargonium. Right. And so we should speak with great passion about these because we want people to trust us. We do want people to trust us. And, and the truth is we both like these plants very much. We do. I have plenty of geraniums and I have a couple of pelargoniums around here. So which one do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about geraniums, but maybe you should explain real quickly the difference between geraniums and pelargoniums. The difference between geraniums and pelargoniums is they are both in the geranaceae family of plants, but pelargoniums are, for most people, annual plants that are native to South Africa, and Mm -hmm. geraniums are primarily perennial ground cover type plants that you can grow, and they are hardy in both of our gardens. Yes, they like both of our gardens, which is surprising since we live so far apart, but um, I don't I don't have as many geraniums at the moment, and there are certain ones I can't grow. But we should also say that pelargoniums are casually called geraniums, which causes a lot of confusion. It does, and I still refer to my pelargoniums as geraniums. I do too if I'm just talking about plants in a pot, because that's what they, you know, that's what everybody here calls them. So geraniums, which geraniums do we like to grow? What does it take to grow them? That kind of thing. What what types do you like to grow? Which varieties? So I have uh, I have three, maybe four primary geraniums out there as ground cover. I do have geranium catabrigensis biocova is the variety. It was the perennial of the year in 2015, and mm-hmm. it is a lovely ground cover, and it has a little pink flower. I also have a whole bunch of the geranium Roseanne, which I think was perennial of the year in 2008. Roseanne mm-hmm. has a bluish-purple flower, um, kind of on longer stems, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get it to weave in and out of some flowers in my front border. Um, but it does take a little bit of care to get it established. You've got to make sure to keep it watered and kind of baby it along a little bit. But it, once it's established, it's a nice filler in the front border. Um, yeah, 2008 was when it came out. I cannot grow it. Can you believe that? I can believe that. It, it's, um, I think it's one of those ones, it's going to be good once you can get it established. But getting it established, it does tend to want some care. Yeah, it does not like it in Oklahoma for me. Now, somebody else may be able to grow it just fine. I can grow geranium sanguineum bloody cranes bill that... It's just the common one that's kind of a hot pink. I can grow that yes. like 
like I could just stick it in places in the ground and it would just take off. I have a little section of it and I pull out pieces of it and give it away. And then I also grow Johnson's blue or at least what was sold to me as Johnson's blue. But there's some, at least I've read in the past that there's some confusion about whether Johnson's blue is still a pure form. It was found in English gardens in the 1950s, according to the Missouri Botanical Garden. But all I know is the one that was sold to me was sold as Johnson's blue and it has lived here for probably 15 years. Really? And I have, I have similar one, which may or may not be Johnson's blue. And actually it's been here for, it was one of the first plants I planted. I got a nice little stand of it over on the side of my house and it came from one of my sister's gardens. And I think it's Johnson's blue, but it has a big, big, big flush of bloom in the spring and is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of let it go and it just does its thing. It's had its moment. Right. And it it doesn't ask for anything. No, neither one of these do for me. And then also, um, I have grown Biocovo. And doesn't Biocovo have like a scented leaf? I sort of remember that if you brush across it, it has a lot of scent. It does have quite a bit of scent. And I had a bunch of Biocova out front in a bed where I had some knockout roses that I had ripped out last year. And, of course, it took out a bunch of the Biocova with it. And this spot is completely full sun. So I wanted to reestablish Biocova geraniums there as a ground cover. Mm -hmm. But if you if you go to the garden center, D, lean in. And let me whisper to you. Okay. I mean, they're like a gallon pot is like ten dollars. Exactly. They're very expensive. And when, and so when you're trying to establish like a ground cover bed, you can quickly go broke. Mm-hmm. So, I managed to talk my local greenhouse into selling me the plugs that they buy. Wow, you have such a good relationship with your local nursery, you know. And I think sometimes if you just ask, hey, and now this wouldn't work at a garden center where they don't buy plugs to plant, but I said, can you get me, you know, smaller, I actually asked for smaller plants, and she said, I'll just order the plugs, and then whatever you don't want, we'll plant and grow on, so it worked out really well, and it was an easy way for me to to put out like 50 of these plants for not like breaking the bank. Yeah, because if you're trying to do a ground cover, you're going to need that many. So everybody, it's a good idea to have a good relationship with your local nursery owner, because if you do, sometimes they'll they'll give you a solid, right? They'll give you a solid. So uh, the main thing is I've got to make sure that those stay watered because um, they, they're not like buying a gallon pot of an established plant. They are plugs. So they need water. They need a little tender, loving care. But I think it'll be really pretty to see that. And I love ground cover. Some people are not ground cover people. They're not? I love ground cover. Oh. Some people don't like the look of ground cover. Well, then they don't have, they don't have roses with naked legs. That's how I learned to like ground cover. Exactly. And I, I love ground cover. And the more ground cover you have... Guess what, Dee? The less mulching you have to do in your flower beds. It's called green mulch, in fact. The closer you plant things together, once they get up to a certain height, you don't have to worry so much about weeds. And Occasionally a weed will get through, and you just pull that sucker out. So I definitely depend upon green mulch all the time. So that's the geranium that's the perennial. Right. Great plant. Find, Find a place for them in your garden, and I think most people will be pretty happy with them. 
they like a little partial sun here in Oklahoma. Um, and also make sure not to let them dry all the way out. They don't like to be dried out. Right. They do not. So let's talk about pelargoniums. Yes, pelargoniums. And there's so many different kinds. There are. <laughs> there's zonal, regal, angel, ivy leaf, and scented. Yeah. That I can think of. Yeah, right off the top of your head. Um, I think there's also a species type, but I don't grow any of those. Zonal pelargoniums are the regular ones you see everywhere. They have really long bloom stalks, and you snap those off when you're deadheading, and they have the bigger blossoms. And then the ivy-leafed ones have ivy-shaped leaves, and they need some shade. And often the ivy-leafed ones, uh, people have those in hanging baskets. They tend to be trailing a bit more than the, the regular zonal Right. I've even seen a lot of hanging baskets here, big ones, where they put the zonal type in the middle, and then they put the ivy leaf around the edges. It's really pretty. And then that way you have this full in the top and then these hanging down ones. And they do well in partial shade. And then there's the scented ones, which we will talk about more later. And then there's the regal or royal ones, which are a little harder to grow here in Oklahoma. How about where you live? Well, I can't really say because I'm not a big fan. Around here, they're sold as Martha Washington geraniums. Not a big fan. I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan. Why do you not like them? I don't know. They just... Is it is it the jagged leaf shape or is it those really dark, rich colors or... I don't know. Um, I, I feel like I should be on a psychiatrist's couch now explaining why I don't like Martha Washington. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Well, D. They often have um, variegated leaves, too, that type. And I usually like variegated leaves. So I don't know. I just, they never kind of hit me. And I guess, you know, they're selling them in the spring, and there are so many choices in the spring there are and i have to admit i felt i fell for one of them and i still have it even though it has struggled in my climate so um and i think mine is actually maybe even named martha washington but i can't remember anyway it's got a nice dark red bloom it's very pretty i overwintered it in my greenhouse and then brought it out this spring and cut it all the way back we should also mention that there's the angel type and the angel type are just miniature versions of the regals And I I do want to mention there's another type, and I'm just going to call them seed geraniums. But if you go to the big box stores um, and you see geraniums in a lot of times, or maybe not anymore, they're like 99 cents for a little tiny pot. That's usually a seed geranium, Um, a fine plant. It's it's not going to beat out a zonal pelargonium as far as the size that it gets. And so... If you want that good old-fashioned, and I'm going to call it geranium because that's what I've always called them. Mm-hmm. If you want that big old-fashioned red flowering geranium or white or the pretty pink, go get the zonal geraniums and and you will be very happy. And buy them, buy them from a really good place. One of the nurseries here specializes in them, and it is a great place to go and get those big zonal geraniums. And they do a good job. For one thing, they feed them, and they take a lot of... They take a lot of food, so you need to keep that in mind when you grow them in your pots. Yeah, and I have, I have two stories about geraniums. I want to hear it. Really, one story. Well, my dad always had a big, uh, long container on the front porch that had red geraniums. Mm-hmm. So not for any other reason other than sentimental, I always try to find 
the perfect red geranium that would be the one that he would have bought if he was still alive. And so sometimes I get like that really dark, almost maroon That's one, my favorite which color. Which is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that he would gravitate towards that one. So I always like to get one of those and put it in a container. But I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, he say, so-and-so say, hey, how are your geraniums so much bigger than the lady down the street? And I won't say her name, even though she's deceased. But, and he'd say, he'd say, because I buy the very best geraniums I can buy, mm-hmm. I can find, and she buys the cheapest ones she can find. And it makes a big difference by the time you get to July or August. It's a big difference. Yeah, because you want them really rooted in good, and you want them really primed for July and August. Because here it gets a little hot for them sometimes, and some years they do better than others. But I I, I do love a good pelargonium, but I especially love... The scented ones. I've fallen for the scented ones. Okay, so you have fallen for the scented ones, and I'm going to fess up that I have no scented geraniums. Probably after this podcast, I'll be heading down to the greenhouse to find out if they, hey, you got any scented geraniums left? Because you'll have me talk me into it. But but you say, this is the danger of the podcast, D. It costs us money. We have to buy stuff. Yeah, I would not say we make it. We don't make any money on the podcast, but we certainly spend it. Yes. Well, any pelargonium that has hairy leaves is likely to be aromatic, and the scent is held as a volatile oil in the glandular hairs on the stems and leaves, which are easily released. So when you run your hand across them, you get this lovely scent, whichever scent they are. And I want to say that that's a quote from Ursula Buchan, which we love her book. You and I both read her book. One of them. She's written yes. several. Um, but this was actually an article that she wrote for the Telegraph, and I thought it was so well, that part was so well written that I couldn't say it better. So I just took her quote. Um, I have a collection, but it's not the national collection, but I have many. Well, stop right there. Stop right there. We got to tell people what the idea of this national collection is because this is like not an American idea. This No, it's not at all. This comes from Great Britain. So we watch Gardener's World with Monty Don, and they're always visiting somebody who has the national collection of some genus. And, you know, it's like the national collection of cactus or clematis. And so we always have visions of grandeur that we're going to have national collections in our gardens. So tell me about your collection So my collection is, I have probably 10 or 12, and um, some of them have variegated leaves, which is kind of neat, too. That is very neat. And one of, yeah, that makes them even cooler. Um, One of them is called Peacock, and it does not smell like a peacock. Good. It has kind of a complex perfume. Yeah, who wants to smell a peacock? But it has beautiful white and green leaves that are they're white and green on top of the leaf. Some of them have white edges. And one that has white edges is called Prince Rupert. Now, I don't own Prince Rupert, but you can probably bet that I'm going to be out there trying to find it. <laughs> um, I have a rose-scented one. I have lemon. I have um, apple. I have... Um, I don't like the citronella scent. It's often sold as mosquito right. plant. Not my deal. Um, but I have... Uh, what? Which one did I not mention? Did I mention the nutmeg one yet? No. Oh, I have nutmeg. Nutmeg is really wonderful, and it's got um, 
beautiful little blue leaves, and they're kind of velvety. So it's not real hairy. Okay. I am doomed to have to go to the greenhouse now. (laughs) So just stop right there. Let's talk about... uh, So you can invest some money in geraniums. Let's talk about overwintering them because... Before you get excited. You have a greenhouse... (laughs) You have a greenhouse, so it's easier for you to just kind of chuck them all into the greenhouse, and you're not trying to get them to thrive and bloom. You're just wanting them to live through the winter. Tell us about that. Yeah. In, in fact, I cut them back by about half when I put them in in the fall. They're all in pots, and right now they're. I'll take a picture of them for our podcast and put it on Instagram. But they're all in pots right next to the potage, and I keep them all together so I can keep them watered because most of my stuff is under irrigation, but not my geraniums. And what I'll do is in I do it also because then they're close to the greenhouse, so that I can lug those pots back in there. They don't get huge, but they don't stay real small either. So they probably triple in size over the summer. So I whack them back by half and sometimes two-thirds, and then I just take them inside and water them once a week. And when, you know, in greenhouses, the light starts to go down, just like in winter for everybody, right? And so you're just trying to keep the status quo for most of winter and control the bugs. And then when the when the sunlight starts to come back up, they look pretty ratty. And so I cut them back again to get them to look nice. And then I start to feed them with a uh, kind of a manure tea. I, I buy one that's off the market, a compost tea. And I just give them a light feeding because I don't want to over-fertilize them because I don't want them to get real leggy. I just want to keep them alive, and then I bring them back out. Now, you don't have to have a greenhouse to bring in your geraniums no. or your pelargoniums? You don't. You do not at all. For years, I did it at my house. Yeah, you can bring them inside the house. And the, the thing you want to be careful of, um, like you're saying, be careful not to overwater them because they're not really growing. They're just kind of not dying completely. And right. and then you try <laughs> to give them some light. Um, mm-hmm. And then before you bring them in, you kind of want to make sure that they're not housing like a complete collection of insects that you can bring in. You can bring in millipedes and pill right. bugs and spiders. And by the time I get done, spray them off. Yeah, just you want to make sure to give it a good, good soak to try to make sure you've got the bugs kind of like floating up to the top and getting out of there. And that there's no scale or anything like that hiding under the leaves. Not so much on those, but you can also have a problem with botrytis. Um, you remember how we talked about botrytis for peonies? I do. It also attacks pelargoniums. I have never seen especially, it here on pelargoniums. Uh, never. It does it over winter. Okay. Because think about it, in a humid greenhouse, yeah. So that's another reason you cut the leaves back. So cut them way back so that they don't have a lot of expiration from the leaves. And just bring them in, and they'll look bad, but you're going to cut them back again in spring. And then there's that... There's that wives' tale that you always hear. You know the one. I know, where you take the geranium out of its pot, you shake the dirt off the the roots and everything, and then you hang it upside down in the garage or the basement or someplace, and then in the spring you can pot it back up. And I just don't think that works very well, if at all. I I have never seen that work very well, and I don't understand the point of it. Some of these old tales, sometimes I don't even understand why. Right. Why, why, why? And I'll tell you, for for 
geraniums that you're growing for the flowers where you can in the spring you can go and buy a nice healthy geranium they're not that expensive and so don't overwinter those. don't overwinter those <laughs> unless it's some phenomenal color and you're never going to get it again but if you have the scented geraniums i think those are worth trying to overwinter because you have a collection yes Dean. A collection. I do. I probably have 10 or 12 now. Um, Nan Andra has an even bigger collection than mine. She did a whole post on her blog, Hayfield, about how she was re-identifying all of them because since they're crossbred and all this other stuff, there's a lot of them out there. You know, there's a lot that you can choose from. I like the ones that are lemony or nutmeggy or I like the ones that smell like roses. So... Are we going to move on to our veggie now, which isn't actually a veggie? We are going to move on to our veggie, which is not a veggie, but is growing in Carol's vegetable garden. So shall you do the quote? There's a quote? Yes, we have a quote about your veggie that's not a veggie. Okay. Want me to do it? Uh, I'll do it. Okay. To eat figs off the tree in the very early morning when they have barely touched by the sun is one of the exquisite pleasures of the Mediterranean. Elizabeth David, an omelet and a glass of wine. That made me want to read the book. An omelet and a glass of wine? Yes, because doesn't it, didn't that just make you feel good to eat a fig with the sun shining on it? And Yes. Yeah, I love figs. But you don't grow figs. I tried. I didn't do so well. What happened? I failed. They died. Let's move on. Let's talk about that, D. Have you processed your feelings about this completely? Because oh, I know who's on the couch. I'm about to tell you that I have not one, but two hardy figs that have, yeah. and dare I say, flourished in my garden. But I, mm-hmm. I have um, a variety called Chicago Hardy, and I have another one called mm-hmm. Brown Turkey. And they have both. I grew brown turkey. They have both produced fruit for me, and not just fruit, but ripe fruit to where I was able to. Did you get it before the birds? Yes. You actually ate it. Yes. I awesome. I ate several things. I have another question. Yes. Are they on, are they in the ground or on pots? They're in the ground. Oh, I tried to grow mine in the ground as an espalier up against the wall. It didn't work. I don't know how I'd grow them. I really don't. Well, but anyway, I want to hear about how you do it. So in mine, I have them planted in the ground. I chose very hardy varieties. Um, I would suggest if somebody's going to grow in a region like mine, Zone 6A, that they plant the plant in the spring to allow it to have a good chance of establishing roots before winter sets in. Although I will tell you that the brown turkey that I bought, I did not do that. I I actually bought it on clearance in the fall and planted it in the fall, and it came back, and I was pleased. Huh. That's awesome. But in Indiana, and Zone 6A, and I'm assuming even like further south, and definitely further north. Zone 7? Yes. (laughs) um, This plant will die back to the ground, so it is root-hardy. So it, it comes back from the roots every year. So I, what I've been doing is I cover over the crown of it with a bunch of leaves that I've mowed up with grass clippings and stuff, and I pile that on Shredded top. Shredded leaves. Yeah, mm-hmm. I pile that up on top, and then I let it go all winter, and then in the spring I pull that back, and then I can see the little growth coming out. 
I don't cut back the stems until I see growth, just in case a stem should overwinter, but they don't. They haven't so far, right? No. But I, we should say that figs fruit on new wood. That's why this is working yes, for you. Figs fruit on new wood. And we should also say that by the end of the summer, my figs will be back up to almost six feet tall. So they get a lot of growth in the summertime. Boy, they do. You must have them in a really sunny spot. They're in complete full sun. Now, here's the thing. The, the trick is it produces fruit. And you want that fruit to ripen before the frost. Because once the frost hits the fruit, it's not going to ripen anymore. It's just nasty. Yeah, it's not going to be good. And here's the other thing about figs that people didn't realize. Don't go. Are you going to tell the creepy, the creepy thing about figs yet? This, I'm getting to it. Getting to the creepy part. Okay. okay, the creepy part. So figs don't produce flowers before fruit. They, I didn't know that. They don't. They produce the, you'll just see fruit, and the flower is up inside the fruit. And if you look at the bottom of the fruit, you'll see like the little hole that leads up to the flower. And Mm -hmm. so there are these tiny wasps that fly around, and they go up through that entry point on the bottom. They fly up in there Mm -hmm. to lay their eggs, and then the larvae hatch and come out. What happens to the mama wasp? Mama wasp, oftentimes she expends so much energy or when she goes up in or tries to come back out, her wings fall off and she dies. And she can die inside the fig or she can die on the ground. Ew. And this is why vegans won't eat figs because there is the chance of that wasp or the larva of that wasp. And these are tiny, tiny wasps being up inside that mm-hmm. fig. That is fascinating. I, you know, I never thought about it because I've seen fig on figs on trees, even on my trees, but I never thought about the fact that they didn't flower first. Well, of course they don't. No. They flower inside themselves. And here's the other thing, and I was, I was reading, there's a book I read called Gods, Wasp, and Stranglers by Mike Shanahan, and he talks about figs from all over the world and different kinds of figs and goes into some detail on this whole mutualism that the figs and the wasps have together and how they coexist. Mm -hmm. I don't know where the strangler part comes in, but I did wonder if I would get figs that would ripen because I didn't know if there would be wasp around that would pollinate the figs. And without the wasp to pollinate the fig, would it become ripe? And I know out in California when they tried to grow figs, they had to import the wasp in order to get the pollination. So for whatever reason, there must be the little wasp out there because I did get ripe fruit and it was delicious. Hmm. Because a pollinated, if the fruit isn't pollinated, it won't ripen and become the delicious fig. Yeah, it just stays green. So I would tell people that you absolutely can grow figs in a climate like mine and... Uh, I know one of our, our garden writing colleagues, Stephen Biggs out of Canada, he's written a book called How to Grow Figs Where You Think You Can't, and we should link to his book because I think it would give people a lot of tips on how to grow figs. Okay. How to Grow Figs Where You Think You Can't. Right. And it's, it's a beautiful plant. It's a statement plant, and actually it helps to hide my compost piles, which are right next to the fig, oh, the one fig. Good idea. And then the other... The other fig is kind of across the path, so I'll show pictures of it and 
on our um, Instagram and Facebook and all that. But I, I love them, and they're delicious. Mm, Absolutely I love, delicious. I love a good fig. It's just like eating strawberries out of the garden. You know, a sun-warmed yes. sun strawberry, there's nothing like it. No. And I've been eating a lot of those. But that's a story for another day. It is, because now we need to talk about our dirt. Yes. The dirt this week is we're going to have a confession. This is like being on the psychiatrist's couch again. Ah. What plant would we like to grow, but we can't? And so we really should say, what plant would we like to grow that we have already failed at growing? You going first or me? Well, we know... We know I failed at figs, but no, I have another one. I'll go. Okay. Alliums. Alliums. What? I can grow alliums through the first. I know. Everybody else can grow alliums. Um, I also can't grow watermelon either. Um, I can get them to grow the first year, but they never, never make it through Oklahoma's hot summers to bloom the following year. Really? Ex- except the white ones, the stupid white ones that just look like big onions. <laughs> they do fine. But I cannot grow the purple ones, and I love some of the purple ones, like Millennium. There's a whole bunch of them. Globemaster. I get, I've tried and tried, but they just it gets too hot here, and I suspect what happens is the wet soil with the heat rots them. Oh, and I've got some alliums that I remember planting at least eight years ago that have come back every single year. Now, there are some occasionally that haven't come back, but the big drumstick type mm-hmm. ones, they come back. They seed all over the place, too. I cannot, no, not the big ones. And I've grown the little ones, the little purple ones, but they, they're okay. I mean, they're not, they're not the ones I want to grow. I've got tons of that millennium. A friend gave me two huge clumps of it two falls ago. Uh-huh. He had put it in a container, and he, he called me up, and he said, Hey, you want these? And I'm like, Hey, I do. So I planted those all out that fall, and I've got them just kind of like lining beds all over the place out back. I Ooh, love I'd them. like to see that. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of your garden with alliums in it. So what plant have you tried to grow but can't? Well, sadly, I have attempted to grow camellias, which are perfectly not hardy in Indiana. Yes. You've tried. And I've tried three, and they died. And I even bought a book about growing camellias in the Midwest. And I thought, oh, surely if I read like the two paragraphs out of this book that I've read, I'll be ready to go. (laughs) And they said to do two things, which I did. One was plant in the spring again so they can get established over the summer. And the second thing was to plant them on the north side of the house because often camellias, if they um, warm up too quickly in the spring, which they might on the east, west, or south side of the house, if they warm up too quickly... And then it gets cold again. That causes the buds to swell up and then get zapped by the the cold. So keeping them on the north side kind of keeps them cooler longer, if that makes sense. Camellias don't tend to be hardy in your area, so it seems like putting them on the north side would make them just die. No. Well, they did die. Yeah. So maybe try, maybe if you decide to try them again, try them on the east side of the house. Because well, the east side doesn't warm up as fast. You know, the west side's the worst side because the west warms up really fast in the spring and everything gets zapped, right? Right. But maybe the east side where you get a nice little morning sun and no afternoon sun. Just a thought. Are you going to try again? 
You know, I might, but it would be, I wouldn't try again until next spring because it's too late for me to really get a good established plant. Yeah. And the other thing is, and this is, uh, I, I had never seen camellias in bloom at all when I tried to grow mine. I'd seen camellia plants in the south but they weren't i was down there in the summer i've seen them in i've seen them in the south in bloom and it made me not want to grow camellias at all why is that because <laughs> i can't grow them like that because i can't grow well, them like that i mean it's like you look at them and it's just the prettiest thing you've ever seen and they're huge and gigantic and it's like how i feel about rhododendrons yeah. not that you can grow them very well in oklahoma but you know well, some places you just aren't supposed to grow certain things. I kind of agree with you, Dee. When I when I saw camellias in bloom down in New Orleans this spring, I thought, "Why am I even trying?" Oh. <laughs> because they're never going to be those right. five, six, seven, eight foot tall shrubs loaded with all those beautiful flowers. They're always going to be some scrawny little. Look, nope. she got one flower this year. So i I think yeah. I'll skip it. I'm giving up. And you know that might be a lesson for okay, I understand. That might be a lesson for all of us that there's nothing wrong with pushing the boundaries of your zone. Figs. But then you go someplace like yeah, like figs. Um like when I went to uh Chicago and I saw hostas in Chicago and Seattle both and I went, "Oh, that's what a hosta is supposed to look like." Now, I have to say this year these hostas look just as good as Chicago and Seattle because we've had so much rain, but that's not a normal year. Right. And I've heard that, yeah, hostas need a lot of, they like shade, they like cool roots, they like a lot of water. Yeah. I understand. They're basically big babies. That's what they are. So that'd be another one. I can grow them, but, you know, there's several, like Japanese forest grass. That's another one. I grow it. But it doesn't look anything like the Japanese forest grass in the Pacific Northwest. And after I saw it there, I was like, why am I even still growing this plant? But it never dies, so I hate to pull it out. Yeah, I have some, and it just, it just takes a long, long time to get established. But we digress. Oh, I'm sorry, we did digress. That's all right. So I'm not going to try camellias, and you kind of gave up on alliums. Yeah, I'm over it. But the good news is there are plenty of plants that we can grow in our own zones and that will make our gardens just as pretty as if we had those plants. That's right. Because, and besides, you don't want everywhere to look like everywhere else. No. All right. Well, that's it for today's episode, D. Unless you got something else. I have nothing else except for to say you can find us at thegardenangelists at gmail.com where we love to answer your questions. You can also find us on Facebook, either under The Garden Angelists or under ourselves. Um, Carol is under May Dreams Garden and I'm under Red Dirt Ramblings. We are also on Instagram as Indie Gardener and Red Dirt Ramblings. And we're on Twitter, and we're also on there as the Garden Angelists in both of those. So give us a holler if you want to. And if you want to download this podcast and do it on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, would you please give us a good rating because it helps people to hear our podcast. It was great chatting with you over the Garden Gate today. It was great chatting with you as well, Dee. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.